Welcome to a special segment we like to call Recap of the Rocks. In this episode, we're going to review some key takeaways from our first three episodes. In this segment, the guys are talking about some factors that influence the new market and how buyers can come out on top. Uh, When we talk about inventory, Oscar makes a fantastic point. We didn't just build a ton of new houses that now people can move into. Buyers have been pulled from the pool and are no longer shopping and sellers are hesitant to move on from record low mortgage rates to upgrade to something that's going to be a higher end mortgage rate. So from a statistics standpoint, the what NAR came out with, so end of August, uh, 1.28 million units, which was a decrease of only 1.5% from July. Uh, but from August 2021 to August 2022, it's actually the same. So we have the same amount of houses mm-hmm. that we had last August that we did this August. And the telling factor to me when we talk about supply is, we talk about a buyer's market and a seller's market. And in order for it to be a balanced market, we need about six months of inventory. Yep. Is kind of what the standard is. From last year, we're up two months of inventory, right? But it's only at 3.2 months. So we're not all the way to that six month inventory. Not even balanced. So it's not, it's, yes, we have less supply, but it's it's for different reasons than people think. And sorry, more supply, but it's different for than what people think because if we didn't build 10 houses, all of a sudden everybody's got choices. We just have less that are coming as resale houses because people are hesitant and buyers are getting priced out. Yep. So you still have a delicate balance in a new market standpoint. The good news is I think that behooves buyers currently uh, for a multitude of different reasons that we'll get into a little bit later. Um, but yeah, it's very, very different where buyers don't have to sit there, see a house for 20 minutes, make a decision in an hour and then put it in an overextended offer and then regret the purchase. Yeah. And so all these driving factors, right? So, you know, we get rates rising. We have a bit more inventory relative to three or four months ago. Mm-hmm. And also the prevailing sentiment that we're in this crazy bad economy, inflation is high and this and this. And yes, inflation is high. Um, it, there's been some drastic rate increases from the Fed that have caused, I think, ripple effects that people didn't quite which expect. Which today we'll know if it hasn't already come out. Yeah. And the market's up. Like The stock market's up today, which is good. Um, a lot of the times what these banks do is they pre- Anticipate the raise, raising the Fed, mm-hmm. and so they start raising their rates ahead of time. Just That's why we saw the massive yeah. spike the last two weeks yeah. when we went from what five point five percent interest rate on mortgages to about six point two yeah. on average. Nothing changed. They just realized, hey, you know what? Inflation didn't come out great for August. Most likely, we're going to see a seventy-five basis point hike. We'll price it in now, which and you guys will see. Pay attention to it. Fed's going to announce that today. What you're not going to see is a spike in mortgage, mortgage rates. rates. Mortgage rates already brought in. So everybody sort of calculated. Yep. Plus, they think it over-anticipated. And from what I've been told, right, um, everyone says all these things, but the biggest fear for mortgage banks right now is, let's say you get a mortgage at six and a quarter. Um, they know you're going to refinance, but this thing gets low, right? They know that that's the case. And so it's they're scared to offer the lower rates until they know what they, the, the bigger picture will look like. Mm-hmm. So and that's the biggest, uh, I think, though, the, the biggest thing that's really scaring buyers away. So affordability in the pricing, but also the sentiment that like, oh, my gosh, the housing market's crashing and yeah, 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 into the world things. 2008, I mean, I keep seeing these things on video like, oh, foreclosures are up like 250 uh, percent. What they don't tell you, though, is that 250 percent is up on like 0.001 percent. Mm-hmm. So really, when you think about it, we're talking about fraction of an increase in foreclosures and a lot of these things and a lot of these situations um it's not the housing market it's that personal situation that the person got yes. themselves into Agreed. more than it's the prevailing market yep. so i just there's so much noise and fear that's being sown out there 
again, comes back to the reason why we do this podcast is so we can help navigate that noise, give you the most information you can so you can make the most educated decision possible and ultimately, you know, put yourself in a better position for you and your family. And I, I do believe that uh, where we are now in our new market is healthy. Mm-hmm. And we're going to get into the reasons why here shortly for both buyer and seller. As a seller, I think there's fantastic opportunity out there if you really think about what you're trying to accomplish with your real estate needs. Yep. Great. So to, su- to summarize the new market, old market. So what do you think, Oscar? How would you summarize new market versus old, old market? Old market, we were pricing well to maintain leverage and help the, the, the sellers on the buy side, trying to get them in the market. Now, the flip side on, on the, the new market, um, we are just trying to stay ahead of the curve, like the banks, they, 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 they up the rates and you know they, they have to do their cost analysis. Um, now we're trying to stay ahead of the curve of pricing it to where it's gonna sell and trying to have that conversation with, with the client. So now instead of um, you know pricing it well and it's gonna go up, well, we gotta price it well so we don't go down further. Mm-hmm. And and that's 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 the biggest that's the biggest change. And you know now your your client has the weekend to think about it, and hopefully we stop that buyer remorse because then then we will see foreclosures and short sure. sales. Yep, agreed. Jim, how would you how would you summarize new market versus old market? Simplest way I can summarize it would be, we've got a chaos versus strategy shift, right? And in the old market, it was chaotic in the sense that sellers had expectations and they sometimes went above and beyond and. I mean, I know this is going to sound terrible, but like sellers were stressed out with how many offers they were getting because it's like paralysis by analysis. They didn't know which one to pick and which one's going to suit their goals, but they had to make a decision because people are knocking on the doors. Buyers were just throwing everything at everything just to get into a place, right? On both sides, I think. That's what I experienced. Now we're, we're back into the strategy portion of real estate in general, buying and selling, investing, whatever it is, where not only should you be doing your due diligence on both sides, buyer and seller, but you are now afforded the opportunity to do so. So I believe that it's going to give, you know, buyers that have been completely burnt out a chance. Sellers, to JC's point, are still going to be able to accomplish what they need to accomplish as long as there's a strategy involved. And our job is to make sure that with those two uh, groups of, of clientele, how do we then take all this other information that we're getting from the Fed and from the news and from my mom's brother's sister's aunt's cousin and make it make sense to people that are looking to buy and sell or rent or invest going forward into this new market. Uh, And the better that we can communicate that, I think the better decisions people are gonna be able to make. So this is where we get into buyers in the new market, right? So we're having fun. And as you are a buyer in the new market, you should be having fun now. Thousand percent. So uh, Jameson, buyers in the new market. So what's some expectations for them now? I think the expectation is they should be excited. And I say that because this is the first time that I've seen that there's actually an opportunity to get in the house that you want, take the time to make the decision, get seller concessions to help pay down some of these crazy prices like rate increases, mortgage insurance, you can get three and a half percent down. I mean, we talk about leverage all the time in real estate in general. Um, And if you've ever been investing in real estate, leverage is huge, right? You wanna get into the best house for the littlest money possible. And I am pumped that my buyers can now do that realistically. And if you break down the math, yeah, home prices have increased, right? I think seven and a half percent year over year this month, but we're not looking at 21% uh, equity increases anymore. So that same house that they were looking at in January, they couldn't get, now they can get. 
And the monthly payment, if you get concessions and different things that are prepaid, it's paid for by the seller because there's less competition, the monthly payment's actually the same. And now they can go in and they're not offering $50,000 plus their firstborn plus a really nice bottle of bourbon they don't want to part with to get into a house. So I think from an expectation standpoint, if you are a buyer, I'll stand by this forever, the right time to buy your house is when you're ready, right? Based on your lifestyle, based on your finances, so on and so forth. But it is super exciting. And I'm pumped for anybody looking at a house right now that can actually take a breath and go, you know what, guys? I like that house. I think I'm going to make an offer. But I might go look at two other houses just to be sure. And to me, that's huge. That is absolutely huge. It's something we haven't seen in two years. I'm pumped. Oscar, what's your expectations Pendulum for buyers? has swung. Um, we went from expectations that you know, the sellers are going to get everything. Now the buyers are going to get some. Mm-hmm. And depending on... The little guy's going to win. Well, it was yes. David and Goliath for a while. And also, you know, set the expectation with your seller. You know, because in some areas, we're dropping 7, 10 plus percent. And set that expectation up front. Yeah, absolutely. And then your buyer as well. You know, it, yes, there's a ton of, well, not a ton, but more inventory. You have time. There's just not a whole lot of time. But you are going to get those concessions. Mm-hmm. You know, and you're going to be set up a little better. Yeah, depending and even with the with the rate hike. Yeah, I I feel very much like these gentlemen. Um, this is fantastic. So for the last two years, as a new buyer, especially first time home buyer with limited cash, you couldn't compete. End of story. Oh yeah. Stop. Not like even close. just not happening. It's like racing Usain Bolt. And finally, there's been some reprieve. There's been some... You can't cheat, Oscar. Okay? <laughs> yeah, stop cheating. So uh, I Throw feel... some marbles on the track. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, bro. Gotcha. <laughs> I feel if we're not talking to anybody who's renting a home for more than $2,100 a month mm-hmm. about the options for buying, we're doing this also as a disservice. And I'll go back to the best you know, story I've ever had. I think it was like my third client, second or third client ever. Met him at an open house. Uh, they came in looking at this open house, finally got them qualified. They had almost no money to their name. So we got them pre-qualified with a down payment assistance program. Definitely. We're going to do probably a whole episode on this, guys, just as a caveat. Down payment assistance programs, especially now when we're talking about buyer's advantage, Mm -hmm. is probably the most powerful tool if you fall into the stipulations that you need, which are pretty expansive, uh, that we've seen in a very long time. So 100%. And again, in the last two years, to be honest, they haven't been very much useful because of the way that they... uh, they require some help in cash or whatever. So yeah, I, had, I had sellers tell me to, to fuck off if I had submitted an FHA chaffa. <laughs> that, that was very nice of them, I literally the way they said call, that. Dude, I would call like, hey, so just do me a favor. I know yeah. you guys have some offers. Can you let me know where we're at so I can set the expectations for my buyer? Yeah. And it was, you need to go conventional. Well, I can't go conventional. Well, then you're not getting this house. Awesome. Thanks for the conversation. I'll talk to you later. Bye. A lot of that is misinformation on, on the listing agent, too. Correct. It because is. Because if, yes. if at the end, end, it's all cash. It starts but that was That was very yeah. much true. I, I had a lot of experiences like that with my FHA, and I was like, hey, can I educate you a little bit? Right. You well, know? an FHA does have you know stricter stipulations as far as inspection and whatnot. They, sometimes that's really stupid shit. Right. Like, hey, this baseboard needs to be painted. Why? Right. But also, right? should it, it should but, also affect the fact that 
just because that's what they qualify for. Right. It's a loan that's government backed, exactly. right? That we should uh, deny them the opportunity it's to a get very into good a loan. loan. No, and, it's and, FHA and, 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 and VA are yeah. Very and, good and then we'll loans. go into like to the uh, finish the story, right? So these folks that came in that a thousand dollars of money got a pre qualified for a condo, mm -hmm. Littleton. They were able to close. They actually, got money back at closing because we got some closer costs or, or, or paid concessions by the seller. Yep. And they parlayed that one hundred forty-five thousand dollar condo into two more houses five years later. Now we're pre-qualified looking at a million plus. And this all was possible because they bought one home for 145, took the proceeds of that house, which they only paid $500 of their own pocket for, into another home, which we sold, took the proceeds into another home, and which we're about to list their home to buy a million dollar plus property. That's the power of home ownership that I think in America, like we have the dream of, right? Home ownership, right. and this is what it does for us. This is how we create real wealth that most people can attain outside of, you know, 401ks and investments that, let's be honest, like only a certain class of folks in the United States would usually take advantage of. But home ownership is honestly the reason why I am in this business. There's no better feeling than watching that first person right. who never thought they could buy a house, that they didn't think they'd have the money and they never could understand it. They, they walk into the house, they're crying with tears and they brought $1,000 of their own money. And that's what makes me excited about this market. And it may not be long. It might be three months, four months, five months, six months. Mm -hmm. It might be a year. But imagine getting into a home that cost you a thousand dollars of real money. And in three, four years from now, you can cash in $200,000 of equity. Now, here are the rock takeaways from episode one. Oscar, what is your rock takeaway of this podcast? My biggest takeaway is kind of like in all markets, if you can take as gingerly as possible, as the agent, the emotional part out of it, be blunt, son. or maybe rip the damn band-aid off, it fuck is. it, let's just Love go. It. Love it. Stick to the numbers, though the numbers never lie. They're like weights in the gym. 45 pounds is 45 pounds and kick your ass either way. Stick to the numbers, try to take the emotional part out of it, and make it a win. JC, what do you think? Whether it be an ups and downs, sideways, whatever it is, the market's always going to be shifting and changing. So we might like it, we might hate it. The reality is it is what it is. And if you're able to understand what is happening today, there's opportunity for everybody. And that's what I want people to understand is don't think about yesterday, don't think about tomorrow, think about today. And let's make the decision that best suits you and your family and I think you'll win. Mr. Amoros. Yeah, uh, I mean, I'm gonna go on the buyer side here. I am going to double down on the fact that I am so excited for buyers in this market. And we talked about it a little bit, if you're renting, and it's the right decision for you, continue to rent. But make sure you have enough information. And when I say information, I mean quality information to make that decision. Because there's a lot of people that will rent and they'll see news articles and be like, yep, makes more sense to rent. But if we start adding in seller concessions, if we start adding in rate buy downs uh, that you can buy with seller concessions, paying off mortgage interest, you'll find that your monthly payment now versus January when you had to pay 50,000 over that same townhome, condo, house, whatever it was, is actually the same. So don't let that hold you back. Um, and I think that this, this market, at least over the next foreseeable future that we, that we can kind of predict, uh, gives us a massive opportunity uh, for buyers to get into the house that they want. And I think that's super important to make sure you guys are getting as much information as possible from credible sources. Reach out to us and uh, we'll see if we can help. So Knowledge that's my- power. Knowledge is power, and that's my rock. In this next segment, the guys will teach you all about rates and buy downs.
Rates are probably around a 7125 to a 76. I think we got quoted earlier today when we were talking to one of our lender partners. We did hear a 76 today. Yeah, so. but they're not on the rate table. So what that means is in order to get to a 6875, there's points that need to be paid. So that will affect closing costs and different things you have to come with out of pocket if you're a buyer. But it's because you know the mortgage companies, they don't want to advertise 7% rates. They don't have a rate table. And the second part of that is it's so volatile now that you know they want to make sure that they're not changing these tables on a weekly basis because of market sentiment and different things that happen. So right now, we're we're almost north of a seven, I would say. No, no, um, we are for, for sure. the first time in I want to say it's almost a decade, right? I think it's probably longer than that. Yeah. I again, this is my eighth year, and uh, the highest rate I've ever seen previous to this year was five point five, five point yep. seven five. So this is by far the highest I've ever seen it. But again, it, go, it goes to, we talked a little bit last week around like, can't control yesterday, can't control tomorrow, but how, what you can control is today and what you do with the decisions you make. And just, you know, for reference, right, we saw the highest peak, which was on uh, Friday, mm-hmm. and it's actually t- trickled back down today. Yep. Actually, I lied. It's, it was Monday that was the highest, but it's trickled back down today. So it's going to be cha- ever-changing, and we can't predict that. What we can predict is what we can do with um, the, the programs that are available today. Yep. And the good news is like lenders, just like buyers, just like sellers, they're going to react and they're going to come up with programs or options or different things that are going to help everyone achieve what they want to achieve. Yeah. And I think that's the, you know, the, the give and take is as environments change, people adapt. Right? 100%. And it's not a bad thing, but we do recognize that there is a negative sentiment to what we would call creative financing. Yeah, I agree. Right. And um, anything, anytime you say creative, like the first thing that comes to my mind is like shady or mm-hmm. awkward or weird right. or not good. But what we want to talk about today is how to win in our current environment. And there's there's actually going to be opportunity. In fact, thousand percent. Still got people under contract this weekend. Yep. So let's transition into our first piece of this, which is going to be buy downs. So what, Jameson, what's a buy down? So a rate buy down essentially is uh, it's money paid to pay off the interest portion of a loan, right? So when we talk about a buy-down, uh, and you guys have probably heard, a 2-1 buy-down, we've got three 2-1 buy-downs. Essentially what it means is if I can get somebody to pay those interest points, I can then decrease my interest that I pay on my mortgage for a set amount of time. Yeah, so you're paying money up, up front to get the rate from what it is currently down to whatever it may be. <clears throat> Correct. And there's really two types of buy downs. Yep. There's a temporary one. Mm-hmm. There's a permanent one. Correct. So what we want to dive deeper into is what are the benefits? Oh, there's the banging again. Benefits of a buy down that's permanent and a buy down, buy down that's temporary. Yep. And what are some of the different options? Yep. So what right now would you say is more effective for our clients, permanent or temporary? So the the question is how volatile do you think the market's going to be? Yeah, going great, forward, great, right? Good question. And I think what we've seen over the last, I mean, five, six months since June, let's say, uh, it's been very volatile, right? Uh, and it's not only volatile because we have inflation. We're dealing with a lot of different just macroeconomic issues throughout the world. Ex- it's, external too, right? Like yeah. there's things not even in the United States nope. that are causing these issues. Yeah, you're talking the Russia-Ukraine war. You're talking Germany's inflation. Obviously, the dollar is going to drive a lot of what the world economy does 
and that's evident that the dollar is as, as strong as it is currently. But there's a lot of things that are happening outside of our, you know, our our sphere that are affecting rates and different things within our economy. So when you look at it and you say, okay, we know after looking over the last six months that rates are going to be volatile. What we want to do <clears throat> is we want to buy as much time as possible uh, from a mortgage rate standpoint to get to a point where we can refinance so on and so forth. So if you're looking at a two one rate buy down versus a permanent buy down, the two one rate buy down or the three to one rate buy down makes a little bit more sense because A, it costs less. B, yes, it's a short term solution, but it buys us time to get back to an economic standpoint, which would allow us to have lower mortgage rates, AKA a recession, which most likely is gonna happen, you know, within the next 18 months. We're already there. Months. Like the, the, the reporting will be out in a couple of weeks, but let's be honest, we all kind of know we're there. Yep. Yeah, so basically what you're what you're uh, what you're battling is if I'm at a, you know, like we just said, right? 7125, I think we just heard from one of our lenders on a 680 credit score Best conventional possible loan. rate on conventional with uh, 10%, 5%, 7, 7125, 5%, yeah. 5% down, yeah. right? So if I do a permanent rate buy down, I may buy down a quarter of a percent, maybe a half a percent on the good day, which will cost me as a buyer 5,000 to 7 to $8,000, which gets me to what, six, five, six, seven, five, somewhere around there. And I'm locked in for 30 years, right? Versus if I can get a seller to help me out with that based on the fact that the house has been on the market for a while, home prices are continuing to drop a little bit and I can get down, if it's a three to one buy down, I'm talking 3% below what I'm at. So what's 3% below 7125? It's a 4125 for the first year, 5125 for the second year, 6125 for the third year. So that money allows me to have a cheaper monthly payment for three years and essentially the hope is that as interest rates go back down you can then refinance into the lower rate for the the remainder of the 30-year term versus a permanent buy down i mean i bought down the rate that's great but if i only bought down to a 6125 now i'm gonna have to refinance in three years pay more money for that refinance and essentially i never see that money it doesn't work for me yeah I and think the, we the, talk about leverage all the time right yeah. in real estate we want to maintain leverage a buy down is the way for buyers right now to maintain leverage in a transaction. Yeah, and if you break it down by the numbers, which we've talked about quite a bit on this pod, is numbers and numbers and numbers, is like Jameson was saying, the current rate, let's call it 7.25. Yep. You buy it down for $7,000 mm-hmm. and it gets down to 6.875. Yep. On a five hundred. $50,000 house, $600,000 house, it's going to save you roughly $50 a month. Correct. So if we divide the cost of that by the monthly savings, how much time will it take you to recoup that cost? Yeah. And really the hope is if within six, after six months, the rate drops below that, you're going to refinance anyways. Mm-hmm. So that means you paid all that money. You only saved, let's call it, I don't know, 10 months. You saved $500. But you paid seven thousand to get there. You just gave up all that money. Yeah. So I mean, if you want to put it into perspective, right? We take that same math. You're talking to break even. It's 140 months. That's a long time. Right. I mean, that's 11.6 years to break even, just on that. Yeah. And, and what's the average time that people stay in the house before moving? Five and a half years. Five and a half to seven years. Right. So. And, and you're making a bet, right? You're making yep. a bet that um, rates will not drop. And that time, and when you go refinance, it's gonna cost you money to refinance anyways. Mm-hmm. So what we're saying 
is, and my dad told me this what, every time I went to a casino when I first uh, started gambling. Put $20 on black. Oh, wait, no. <clears> that, wrong, was a, wrong that, casino. that was Entourage. That was, that was Vegas. <laughs> Entourage in Vegas. Uh, was I got a they, story about JC in Vegas later for you guys that want to stay tuned for episode just, three. Just, by the way. One, just one story? Uh, so was it, you know what you know now. You don't know what you don't know in the future. So he, what he said was, if you're going to go to the casino, take whatever you wanted to take out of your bank to gamble and just assume it's lost. Yeah. I think it's a, good, it's a great way so to describe it. So for me, it was always $200, right? right? I'm okay losing the $200, but I had fun for seven hours. Cool. It's cost-benefit analysis, right? Yes. If I win, I win. If I lose, I already knew I lost. Did I have fun? Did I have more fun than I had not fun losing money? 100%. Yeah. So now it, with the permanent buy-down, which we just talked about, if you go to like a 2-1 buy-down or a 3-2-1 buy-down, here's how it works. So a 3-2-1 buy-down, which is a newer program, for a lot of these lenders out there is let's say today's rate seven one two five which it is well it was as of an hour ago <laughs> yeah uh you take three percent off that seven percent mm -hmm. which brings you down to a four one two five yep so on a current listing we have which is six hundred thousand dollar house yep ten percent down at today's current rate of seven one two five after insurances and taxes are built in we're looking at a payment of $4,251. Okay. If we did a three, two, one buy down in that very first year at a 4.125, the payment drops to $3,200 even. So what's the difference that monthly? It's $1,251. Okay. Which is basically two Teslas. Easily. And the second year jumps up to a 5125 which is 3553, mm -hmm. so $3,553. Okay. Only a $300 a month jump. Okay. And then we jump back up to what's normal. So now the cool thing with year this year one, is, you said you saved how much a month? $1,000. Okay. So let's go times 12, right? So you're talking almost $12,000, mm -hmm. right? And then year two? Uh, you're saving roughly 750 bucks. Per month, mm -hmm. right? So 750. Oops. Jimmy's it's weird on a calculator and a computer. Jason can't do math in his head. Yeah, no. Oscar, you're hearing the same. Just a piece. Nine grand. So what's the total of those two savings? $21,000. $21,000 in two years. Now, here are the rock takeaways from episode two. So, JC, I'm going to ask you this. Mm -hmm. We talked about a lot, man. We talked about the whiskey, right? Killer. We're good we talked there. about... Two one buy downs, three two one buy downs, arms. We talked about buyer strategy, seller strategy. So give me your biggest takeaway that we talked about today. My biggest takeaway is don't be scared. Scared. It's going to change. Things are going to shift. They're going to move up. They're going to move down. Take a deep breath. Mm -hmm. Take a sip of bourbon. Or like three, depending. If you're on this podcast, at least three. Three. Uh, and figure out what do you want to accomplish yeah. and I guarantee you there's opportunity. Fair. Uh, my biggest takeaway is everything when you talk about a free market is cyclical and the best advice I can give anybody is be comfortable with change and adaptation, right? Whether that's a two, one buy down now versus, you know, higher offers later versus creative financing options in six months, we don't know what's going to happen, right? If you had a crystal ball, would you be here 
in this office with these great walls? Hell no. My walls would be blue. Right? I, mine would be, yeah, blue. That's my favorite color. Yeah, I same, agree. Same, same. With, it, with a giant wall of whiskey, right? Yeah. So the, the purpose of this and, and my biggest takeaway is we can't predict the future. But what we can do is we can take previous facts, events, trends, and and give those to you guys to make the best decision. Just be open to change and be open to being adaptive and do what's right for you and your family and have the right conversations. And at the end of the day, it's going to work out. In this segment from episode three, the guys cover ownership of solar panels. So a power purchase agreement essentially is a third party owns the panels Mm -hmm. and they come to you, the consumer that's either, and the beauty of it is you can either be owning, you can be renting. You don't have to own the house itself. They use you as what we call host. And they say, hey, we are going to give you energy at a certain fixed rate um, per kilowatt hour used, right? Okay. And that rate will never change per kilowatt hour used. And kilowatt hours, like how would kilowatt you hours essentially is how much power your household uses within certain time frames as you go throughout the day, right? Perfect. You'll hear things like you know peak peak hours, so on and so forth. Uh, in it's, which case, it's the cost of the energy you're yeah. using. Basically, it's like if you fill up your car with gas. Uh, at that point, you know, I'm going to pay $3 and 69 cents a gallon for my gas. It's your price per gallon. And it's my price per gallon, right? It. It's essentially the same thing for solar panels, really any energy coming into the and, home. And the benefit, like, so with the price per gallon, the way that they've changed the power rating in Colorado is, and, and this is across the country for the most part, is yes. based on supply and demand and that particular time you're using it, the price per gallon changes. Correct. So yes. like at two o'clock in the morning, the price per gallon is a lot less than 6 p.m. Correct. In the afternoon. Yeah. Wait, so Wait, think you, about it. Think about it like Lyft and Uber, right? If any of you guys have taken Lyft and Uber before, in your downtown, pick a metropolitan area. You take an Uber at 7 p.m., right? After a Nuggets game. From a, to a Nuggets game, it might Nuggets cost game. you 110 bucks. Then you leave. You go out to the bars. You hang out. Maybe you have some outlaw legend because you found it at a whiskey bar downtown. And you decide to leave at 2 in the morning. What's that same Uber cost at 2 o'clock in the morning? It costs $300 to go the same difference. The, sorry, the same distance, right? Mm-hmm. That's how most of the energy uh, e- equations work when it comes to how much they charge the consumer. With a power purchase agreement, essentially that Uber and Lyft drive stays the same per mile that you take it, no matter what. It just depends on how much you use it. Which is cool information. We started comparing our households. And, yes. Um, my household uses the most kilowatt usage during peak time. Yep. Correct. Which means, Oscar, leave your house during peak time. No, not, not my family needs to leave the house during peak time. Then you go do some stuff, you know? Yeah, so it's, it's, it's kind of crazy. So to, real life example, right? We talked about that a couple of times. So Oscar and I's house are relatively similar. Actually, his house is bigger. Family size, you have one more family member than us. Right. We used more power, but we used it and not the peak times compared right. to Oscar's family. And our bills are about the same. Right. And I have a stay-at-home mom, so... You know they're they're constantly there during the peak hours, yeah. and then kids are asleep at a certain time, and then we don't really do much after that. Yeah. So it's also it, our, our bills are similar, but we use different use it at different times, different yeah. times, and and the peak time is costing me more money. And that's that's so that's where the PPA comes into play is you're going to pay the same amount for the energy no matter when you use it. You're right. just going to pay for the amount of energy you use. Yeah, that, at, if that at, makes sense at, at a set rate at a set rate whatever that rate is is going to be the same so the, the ppa essentially basically the company who puts them on your house owns them right they're selling you that energy at a set price per usage 
no matter what day time day of the time you use it but when, you're going to know what you're going to pay for energy so it's predictable whereas every year like right now we found out this year our energy costs can be 50 percent higher in december yep you wouldn't have that problem on the electric side natural gas would change but on the electric side you wouldn't have that fluctuation like you and i and jameson mm -hmm. would experience now with the lease it's slightly different so the lease is they're going to put the uh, third party company it's going to put the panels on your house and you're going to pay a set fee per month for those panels no matter how much or no. how little energy you use 100 percent. so when you buy them outright it's basically what it sounds like you're going to pay for the panels in two ways you can just pay cash so in colorado the average solar system costs 13 to 18k depending on your the service area. well the size of the roof Right, because you're paying for panels right. and, 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 the, and the surface of your roof. If you have a ranch house, which is larger surface area, it might cost you more. But keep in mind, the more panels you have, the more energy you can draw, which is beneficial. And uh, the other option with buying, you can finance them. Now, with that, with that said, mm -hmm. with the leasing and PPA, can you use batteries? No. No. Can you store? You no. cannot. Okay. No. no. And that is something that Oscar brings up a great point. Great point, right? because Oscar. What's happening right now, and I, I got to look up the stat, so I'm going to give you a ballpark. It's not going to be exact, but right now there's only about three to four percent of solar panel systems on houses that are paired with batteries, Better. which a battery for you guys uh, is just a way to store the energy, yep. right? And you can't do that if you're leasing or a PPA because the third party company essentially sells the excess power that your solar panels draw to the grid. If you are leasing or if you have a power purchase agreement, you cannot have a battery. If you are purchasing or financing because you own the system, you can have a battery. The last benefit with buying is any energy you produce above and beyond what you use for your home and household usage, you can actually sell back for credits on energy um, to the company yep. that you're, you're, you're using. Right. I.e., like, let's say um, you, you guys, I don't know if you remember the whole rollover minutes from T-Mobile. Right. So if you, every month. Do not make phone calls they're past still, 7 p.m. There's still countries that do it. Oh, really? Dang. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, we're not. Yeah. yeah. Like you any energy go. you create that is above and beyond your usage, you can actually sell back four credits on future usage of energy. Yes. I.e. So in the summer, let's say you generate a ton of energy because it's AC sunny. blasting. And, and it's, yep. it's, it's really hot outside and we haven't had a cloud in the sky. But then you fat, um, you're only using half of the energy you're actually generating. Come January, where it's you know snowing, there's a blizzard, the clouds out. You're using more energy because the heat's on and all the other nonsense. You're in the house more. If you use more energy than you're producing, then you get to use the energy you got credit for from the summertime now. So pretty cool. Now here are the rock takeaways for episode three. Oscar, on your one rock takeaway, what do you want to take away from today's pod? Do your due diligence. Due diligence on your solar panels. Work with an individual that knows what to look for and mm -hmm. what questions to ask and disclosure. Jameson, I'm Russ. Um, I think the... I, I'm a big picture guy. I see all the different things that are happening in green energy. And I think that, yes, everybody needs to make the decision that's best for their specific usage. Um, but at the end of the day, pay attention to what's happening globally, because too often we get tied into this kind of microeconomic thing, like what affects me? Mm -hmm. And I think that's a big problem, right? So if you look at green energy, I think it's a good exercise to say, okay, well, yes, this is what I'm doing. How does this affect everybody else around me? 
how do I, how am I contributing to the greater good? And I think solar power and these different things allow us to do that a little bit, which is not in our nature. Uh, so I think that's something that we need to focus on. Says a man with a, with a hybrid. I got rid of my truck. Okay. I'm just asking. <laughs> I, uh, I'm a bit more bullish on the green stuff mainly because I look at like cost and benefit ratios. So I think at if I pay this, what do I get out? I believe that it makes sense at some point in time to like really look at gas prices as driving car, right? Yeah. Not a bunch of gas prices. And there's no way that we're going to keep the same prices over yeah. time. We've yeah, seen right. we see go up, we see go down. If I want to control all the costs in my life, I would say that panel solar panels, if you bought them, are the number one factor in doing that. Because you can control the cost of charging an electric car. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've Lots of friends who have Teslas, and they cost them fourteen dollars from empty to full in the nighttime when low energy cost saving time is. So, if you had panels on your house that you stored the energy, and it costs you nothing free to store right. it, and then you put that into your car. Now, for me, like you know, I have a four hundred uh, mile tank that would cost me zero dollars. That's four dollars a month times twelve, right? That's a lot of freaking money. On top of that, I control my energy costs without anyone controlling, tell me what I can do. And the one thing that we know is true is over time, energy costs is going to keep going up. Yeah. So my gas gonna, prices right now. I'm going to sound very gross. much like a Connie gross. or like a guy who like super into solar or all this stuff. You say Carney? Connie. Oh. oh yeah. Just communist, I guess. Right? <laughs> what do you call those guys? But anyways, like ultimately, I just, I, I look at the cost, uh, cost to, to, to debt income ratio of my life and i think if i'm going to pay 285 dollars a month for an electric bill but if i paid that much to own panels but then i didn't have to pay gas and then i didn't didn't have to worry about the fluctuations of energy and up and downs and things i can't control wars here and 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 freezes there i think it makes total sense i agree but again we're in colorado right it may not make sense in alabama may not make sense in kansas may not make sense in what's a really cloudy state oh seattle so Yes, there's a lot of cool things that you can be done and it adds value to your house. Yep. And uh, so I think it's pretty cool. Thank you for tuning in to this special segment we like to call Recap of the Rocks. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.